seated. Our theme for Advent this year is gifts, and I'd like to start by thanking the staff of Resurrection for gifting me with the opportunity to preach today. I realized that as I was preparing this week to do so, that um, to bring you the word that many of you may not know who I am or why I'm here or what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a very brief bio, very, very brief. I am the fourth and final child of Colin F. Steed and the late Lorraine Gapping Steed. I was gifted with three siblings, two brothers and a sister, and the four of us were gifted with being able to grow up in church, in church known as Midwood Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I gave my life to Jesus at a very young age and was gifted with a call to ministry even while I was still quite young. I was educated in one of the Southern Baptist colleges in North Carolina and received my Master's of Divinity degree from one of the Southern Baptist seminaries there. My mother over the years taught me that Jesus loved me. The Baptist taught me the Word of God. And when I was finally gifted with the gift of MCC back in 1994, it was at MCC where I was taught that I could be all of who God created me to be. I could be both a lesbian and a called woman of God. Amen. Praise God for a place where I don't have to choose one or the other, but I can be both and all at the same time. This I would say, is one of God's greatest gifts to me. And then over four years ago, I was gifted with being called to pastor the church at uh, the MCC there in Charleston, South Carolina. And I pastored that church for a little over three and a half years prior to moving to Houston this summer as my partner Kim was transferred with her job here to this area. I'm grateful for many gifts in my life. And I think I'm most grateful that I recognize some of the things that aren't usually considered gifts as gifts. I think that's hard for us sometimes to recognize gifts among us. Our scripture began this morning, After the time of distress, when the fig tree's branches start sprouting, you'll know, he says, that summer is near. And when you see those things happening, you will know that the time has almost come. This week, as we enter the season of Advent, where we await with great anticipation the coming of the Christ child among us and into our lives, we will be transformed by it. You can't help but be transformed. The time, the scripture says, has come. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this season of anticipation and for the hope that we find amidst it, even amid the pain and the distress of our lives. Teach us this day to find the gifts amidst those times that we may be changed anew and again this year. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are my hope and my redeemer. And as the gospel song says, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Touch my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart and speak through me. If you can use anything, God, use me today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Don't you just love Christmas? Don't you? Yeah, thank you, yeah. <laughs> the sights and the sounds of the season are soothing, the colors are typically vibrant, and the people, well, most of the people, are typically pleasant, aren't they? Including us. And we can't forget shopping. One of my favorite hobbies is not only, <laughs> I have fans, yes, thank you. <laughs> Shopping is not only acceptable, it's expected. Retail so <laughs> Retail therapy, yeah, exactly. So I can shop till I drop, 
and I don't have, to, don't have to feel guilty about that. Don't you just love it? It's such a gift. And as much as I love Christmas and all those sights and sounds and all the pretty colors and being able to shop, no one loves Christmas more than my brother Billy. No one was better, too, at guessing their gifts than he was. He was so good at that. I never was really good at that. But he would sit in the floor near the tree after my mom had gotten all the packages perfectly placed under her tree. And he would start digging around trying to find the presents with his name on them. And he'd shake and rattle and push and pull every package. And he'd get to one and he'd say, yep, that's jeans. And another, yep, that's the hat. And he'd usually figure out the box that had his underwear in it every year. Thinking about that, I always thought he was really good, and I thought, you know, he is so talented, and he has so many gifts. And then, as I was preparing this sermon this week, it it occurred to me that perhaps he wasn't just that gifted in being able to get guess his gifts, because we typically got some jeans, some underwear, a pair of socks, you know, we got things like that. So it really wasn't too hard to figure out usually. And it occurred to me that he didn't just have a special gift, which he does, and, and he has many gifts, actually. But I believe more than anything that his ability to guess his gifts was that he knew and knew quite well the gift giver. You see, my mother was a very, very, very practical person, and therefore she was a practical gift giver. I told them this morning at 9 o'clock, my mother was very frugal, and you can read cheap there. My mother was very... <laughs> She could stretch a dollar in a minute. She, was, she would always give us things that we needed. And we didn't always, always get what we wanted, but we never, ever went without. And so she was a practical gift giver. And so we could expect the clothes and the underwear and the gloves and the hat, those practical things. And so after years of guessing nearly all of his gifts during his lifetime, my mother finally stumped, stumped my brother. He had just gotten married that summer before, and he and his wife had, had gotten a small house, and they didn't have a lot of furniture, and we had gone over one day for some reason, and they didn't even have enough places for us to sit because it was their newlyweds. They were really young. And so my folks, my mother being the practical one, decided to get them a card table with four chairs. That gave them that many more seats in the room for when family and friends would come over. You hardly can wrap a package like that, right? So she decided to stash it behind his old bedroom door with the chair and the table, and the chairs and the table, and then she just was going to wrap a note and tell him to something like, you know, look behind your bedroom door to find your gift. And she was going to just wrap the note, but that wouldn't have made any noise, right? So she decided and got kind of crafty, and she got some shelled pecans and put them in that box. Wrapped it up real pretty and stuck it under the tree with his name on it. And you can imagine Christmas morning when he's digging around and he finds his gifts. And he's shaking that one. He, it took him like five minutes and he still couldn't figure it out. It was, when his curiosity just got the best of him, he decides to rip the thing open. And lo and behold, pecans fall out on the floor. He looks over at my mom. Pecans, mom? Like, really? Like, Pecans? And my mother instantly started laughing and said, look a little further, there's a note. And then he discovered the note that was there. Look behind your bedroom door to find your gift. It's hard to wrap a package like that. It's hard to wrap a package and you get pecans and you just wonder, what's that about? It's difficult. And we get surprised many times by the gifts that we find. Gifts often come in the most unexpected packages. And they come in unexpected ways at difficult times 
And if you're like me, when gifts come in such a strange way, it's hard to recognize them as gifts, isn't it? But we must look a little closer. And I believe that's what the scripture lesson from the Gospel of Mark was trying to tell us today. Sometimes we can't see the gifts amid the distress, but there is one if we simply look a little closer. Mark says, After that time of suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall from the heavens. And then they will see the Son of Humanity coming in the clouds in unexpected ways with great power. From the midst of darkness and distress, we will receive our greatest gifts. Just ask the 12 spies of Israel. Perhaps you remember their story found in Numbers chapter 13. I've always been intrigued by the story and the faith of the one spy named Caleb. While the Israelites remember they were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years, God had spoke to Moses and instructed them to send 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to scope out the land of Canaan, that promised land that God had already promised to gift to them. Moses gathered those 12 men together, and he instructed the spies to search out the land, to see what it was like. And he said, go there and see whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land is good or bad, and whether the towns are fortified or unwalled, and whether there are even trees there or not. And then Moses' last bit of instruction was simply this, be bold. At the end of those 40 days, the 12 spies gathered all the people together to report to them their findings, and they said this, we came to the land which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live there are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. The walls there were thought to be 20 feet thick and about 25 feet tall. And they continued, besides, there are descendant, descendants of Anak there. Anak was a race of um, abnormally large people, and they, they thought maybe Goliath, the giant, had possibly been from this um, troop. This, this tribe. Despite the rather dismal report, however, Caleb noticed the note amidst the pecans, if you will, and insisted that the people, he said, go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb, you see, saw the promised land as the gift God had wrapped up for them, even in the form of enormous giants, fortified walls, and a land of many, many, many people. The other spies didn't see it, quite as a gift. Where Caleb saw God's promise, the fearful saw a problem and said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we and it is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw there of great size. They concluded, we seem as grasshoppers to them. Amazing how people can look at the exact same situation and see it completely differently. The facts don't change at all. The difference was simply that the majority of the spies were looking through the eyes of fear. Caleb, conversely, was looking through the eyes of faith. The other spies saw the pecans in the box. Caleb saw God's note underneath. The majority saw obstacles. Caleb saw possibilities that are only present and always present when God is near. Caleb understood God's package that was wrapped up and that promised land was a gift but it was placed originally among their enemies it's easy for us isn't it to see walls and giants and then respond with fear 
All the while forgetting that God has already promised to deliver us and provide for us. To gift us with amazing things, even amid, during, and after the distress. May we never forget what Joy mentioned in her invocation. God knows the plans God has for us. Plans for your welfare and not your harm. Plans to give you the future you hope for. What gifts are we overlooking that God has wrapped up for us just this year? Sometimes there is a gift awaiting us if we just hold on and see the note under the pecans, the hope amid the distress. I'll close with this story. It's one of my favorites, and it's one that I concluded my mother's eulogy this year, earlier this year with it. There are gifts among us if we can just hold on and find the gifts amid the distress. The story is entitled, Keep Your Fork. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come over to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service and what scriptures she would like to be read and even what outfit in which she would like to be buried. The woman also requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, she said to him. What's that? came the pastor's reply. This is very important, she continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing quite what to say, and then she chimed in and said, That surprises you, doesn't it? Well, to be honest, he said, I'm puzzled by your request. The woman explained, In all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remembered that when the dishes were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, Keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake. <laughs> this is cruel to do this right before lunch, isn't it? <laughs> or deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful and full of substance. And if you're like me, dessert, I could skip the rest of the part and go straight to dessert. She said, so I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my right hand and wonder, what's with the fork? Then she said, I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. There is hope amid... There is hope amid the distress. If we hang on during the meal, dessert is coming. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hugged this woman goodbye. He knew that it would probably be one of the last times he saw her alive. And he also knew that this woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. She knew that something better was always coming. So then a few weeks later at the funeral, the people were walking by the woman's casket and they saw her pretty dress and they saw that she had her favorite Bible there and they also saw that fork placed in her right hand. Over and over again, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? And over and over, he just smiled. And then during his message, during the funeral, the pastor told the people of the conversation he had had with the woman right before she passed away. He told them about the fork and what it had symbolized to her, that she understood that life has its challenges and that death will surely come for all of us. But the gift amid her distress was that God had promised her the gift of heaven in the end. Death never has the final answer. 
The pastor told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably wouldn't either. He was right. This woman, much like my brother, knew the gift giver. And this woman knew that Jesus had promised her the promised land of heaven after this life. What an amazing gift. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you also gently that the best is yet to come. God has gifted us with hope even amid the distress of our lives if we look past the pecans and see the mom's note. After those years of distress, when the sun, sun stops shining and the moon loses its light, Jesus will return in time with great power in unexpected ways, even in the form of a little baby in a manger in a town like Bethlehem that was really small, and his presence on the earth will ultimately change the world. And you know how I know this to be true? Jesus changed me. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return gives me hope. And this is the hope that we celebrate this Advent season. Saints, there are gifts under our trees this year that God has wrapped specifically for all of us. I encourage you, amidst your sickness, amidst your joblessness, amidst your poor health, amidst your loneliness, amidst your distress, in whatever form it may take, may you look for the note, and understand that God has promised the best is yet to come. Discover the gift of hope you will find. Notice the gift of hope in the middle of your mess. Greet the gift of hope among your greatest giants. And while you're at it, keep your fork. There is a gift and dessert awaiting you. The best is truly yet to come. There is hope amid your distress. Natasha's going to come in just a moment and lead us in a time of praise and worship. And as she does, I say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. You are the light in our darkness, and you're the light amidst the distress. You are hope to the hopeless. Come into our lives. Change us so we can change the world. Amen. Amen.